I have already been encouraged this morning. When Dwayne makes a mistake, I am reminded that he's not perfect. He's, he's in league with me, so, which is rare for Dwayne to make a mistake. I've never heard a better piano player in my life, so we are blessed. We are blessed to have him. Take your Bibles and meet me, if you will, in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're only going, only going to be looking at one verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, and that is verse 13. But we have been considering in our time together in this expositional study of 1 Peter, so far, the great salvation that God has provided for us in His Son. We've spoken much about that salvation in verses 1 through 12. And then we come to verse 13, which begins a section on how we are to respond to that great salvation, uh, how we are to live in light of that salvation. So if you would read with me verse 13. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence with us already this morning. Lord, we thank you for your presence in us by your Holy Spirit so that we can see and understand the things that are in your word. We thank you for saving us and for making us people of truth. And we ask you this morning, Father, to be our teacher and to instruct us by your Holy Spirit. We ask you to encourage us and to build us up in our walk with you and our most holy faith. We also pray for those, Lord, who do not yet know you. And we ask that you would show them grace and mercy this morning, Lord, that you would bring them to their senses and show them their need for your Son. And this we pray in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Most often when professing Christians think of the commands of God, their minds automatically go to the Old Testament, in particular, uh, the Ten Commandments given by God and received by Moses. However, when you come to the New Testament, you find that the New Testament contains many commandments given by God to believers commandments given to those who have put their faith in Christ for the salvation of their souls and have become the children of God. Now, when you remind some people of that, that, they're, that God has given commands in the New Testament that are to be obeyed, they charge you with being a legalist, and they offer up the argument, well, we're under grace now. In other words, it doesn't matter whether we obey those commands or not. But the New Testament contains many commands given to believers to be obeyed by God. We have one of those commandments in the verse that we have just read. In this verse, we are given by God the command to hope. I don't know if that's ever occurred to you as a believer, that God has commanded you to hope. Well, he has. And we have it right here. God commands us to hope in this verse. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Not only has God commanded us to hope in this verse, but did you know that the commandment really forms the essence of what it means to live the Christian life? If you don't understand the necessity to hope, then you don't understand the essence of the life that a Christian is supposed to be living in the here and the now, this side of glory. Let me ask you, do you ever wonder whether or not you really understand how to live the Christian life? I mean, you know that you're saved. You know that you know Christ. You know that you have fellowship with God. You know that you have eternal life. You know that you're spiritually alive. But do you ever wonder to yourself, do I really understand what it means to live this life that I've been brought into by the grace of God? Is, is there something that I'm missing? Do you ever feel like, you know, I, I have the form of it, but I'm missing some of the power of it? Something vital seems to be missing, and you simply wonder, what is it? What is it? Well, if you've ever felt that way, then what we have in verses 13 through 16 represents a power-packed statement about how the believer is to respond to this great salvation that we have been given in Christ Jesus. What you have in verses 13 through 16 is, is a response to that great salvation, a response to what we've already studied in verses 1 through 12. The, this is the believer's response to that salvation, which we have unpacked in quite some detail. How do you respond to the truth that you've been saved? Well, that's what we're given in verses 13 through 16. And what we find here is that there are two parts to what's being described in verses 13 through 16. Verse 13 deals with the mind, and verses 14 through 16 deals with the life. Verse 13 deals with how we think. Verses 14 through 16 deals with how we act, deals with what we do. And I think that it would be good for us to make note of that. Salvation is to be responded to with our minds, and salvation is to be responded to with our lives. Salvation is not a check-your-brain-at-the-door religion. Salvation is to be responded to with our minds, and salvation is to be responded to with our lives. And this morning, we are just going to set our focus on that first part, how salvation is to be responded to in our thinking. And I want us to do it under two headings. First of all, I want us to see the commandment, and then I want us to see the conditions. So first of all, the commandment. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the original language, there's only one imperative in verse 13. There's only one command in verse 13. The other two statements are what are known as subordinate participles, and they're instrumental participles, because the other two statements come under the commandment and tell us how to fulfill the commandment. The commandment in verse 13 is simply this. Set your hope. That's the commandment. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the way that you do that is with those subordinate participles. The way that you do that is by preparing your mind for action 
and being sober-minded. So let us begin with the commandment. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And where we must begin is to ask the question, what is hope? I mean, if I'm commanded to hope, if I'm commanded to set my hope fully on something, then I have to ask myself, what is hope? And right away, we need to know that because this is a commandment, we're not talking about an emotion. Because this is a commandment, we are talking about an act of the will. We're talking about something that we're obligated to. We are obligated to live our lives in a spirit of expectancy. We are commanded to live expectant lives. But what is hope? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is hope? What is Peter talking about here? Well, as you study the scriptures, you discover several things. First of all, we can say that it's a spiritual reality. Hope is a spiritual reality. It only, exi it only exists where faith exists. It only exists where there has been salvation. If you don't know God salvifically, then you don't have hope. If you don't know Christ as Savior, then you don't have hope. Hope only exists where salvation exists. It's, it is listed as one of the three supreme virtues in the Christian life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, we read this, So now hope... So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, where there is salvation, there is faith. Where there is salvation, there is love. And where there is salvation, there is hope. It is a spiritual reality for every believer. But what is this reality? What is this reality of hope that we know? Well, it describes the Christian's attitude toward the future. Hope has to do with the future. You notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, hope and faith are mentioned separately, right? They are separated by commas. They're, they're, they're two different things. What's the difference, though, between faith and hope? Faith considered apart from hope focuses on the present. And hope apart from faith focuses on the future. They both have to do with faith. So when Peter says that we are to hope, he's saying this. He's saying that we are to believe, that we are to have faith, but the focus is not on the present. The focus is on the future. Faith takes God's word and appropriates it in the present. What happens when you live by faith? Well, you take God's word and you appropriate that word in a particular situation that you're dealing with right now. Whatever you're facing right now, you, you do what God says you are to do in that situation. That's faith. Hope is taking God at his word when he tells you what the future will be. It affects the present. But it doesn't have anything to do with the present. It's about tomorrow. It's about eternity. It's about the life after this one. 
Now, if I live by faith today, what I'm doing is I'm believing God about what he says eternity is going to hold. If, I, if, I, if I'm living today, taking God's word about the future, then I'm living my life in hope, in, in sure expectation of the future that God has promised me, that God has promised all of his children. And only saved people have the capacity to hope. Only saved people have the capacity to believe God when he tells us what the future will be. Something else we can say about hope is this. It exists only, and this goes without saying, it exists only because of God's grace. If it were not for God's grace, man would have no hope. Because God has done everything to save us, we have hope. It's by His grace that our sins have been forgiven. It's by His grace that we have been made alive together with His Son. It's by His grace that we have been transferred into His Son's kingdom. It's by His grace that we have been given an inheritance, which we've already read about, that we are looking forward to. So it's because of this perfect saving work of Jesus Christ that we have an expectation, that we have a future, that we have an inheritance. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, we read this. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What were these Thessalonian believers doing? We're told there that they were living their lives in hope. They were living their lives in hope of the return of Christ. They had turned from their idols and they had turned to God, to the true and living God in the present, and they were doing this, waiting for the return of Jesus from heaven in the future, knowing that God had raised him, knowing that he was alive, knowing that he was coming to deliver from the wrath to come. That's hope, folks. That is hope. And that's what they were doing. They were living in the present with the hope of the future. So hope is a spiritual reality. It's something that believers are given. Hope is the Christian's attitude toward the future. And hope exists only because of God's grace. And if you're not stationed in God's grace, then you don't have hope. You don't have a future except the sure expectation of God's wrath and hell. Not only must we ask what is hope, but in light of verse 13, we must ask how are we to hope? How are we to hope? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fully. That's how we're to hope. Fully. Could be translated perfectly because that's the idea, or completely. We are to hope fully, completely, perfectly on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fully means unreservedly. Fully means without doubt. It's I'm living my life today 
believing God about the future that he's promised, and I'm not doing that half-heartedly. I'm not doing that indecisively. I'm not doing that in some vacillating way. I am doing that without any doubts, without any reservations, without any hesitations about the future. And I know that we just, as God, you know, I, I know that what God says can be believed. I know that it, it's, we, we, just, we just trust God to fulfill what he promises. And if, I, if I'm doing that, if I'm, if I'm just taking God at his word about the future, I'm committing myself to that, I'm committing myself to, to that today, and I'm resting the rest of my life on that, I'm living my life in view of that, of what God has promised, I'm wholeheartedly committed to that truth. That's what it means to live the Christian life in hope. That, that's, what's, that's what Peter's talking about this morning. I am, I am wholeheartedly trusting God's word. I'm taking God at his word. I'm taking God at face value. I'm, I'm simply believing what he said about the future in the present as I live my life. And that affects my life today. That impacts my life today. It gives me such things as boldness. It gives me such things as courage. It gives me such things as, uh, as joy as I think about that future that will be my end as a result of my faith in Christ. So if you feel like something's missing in your Christian life, then this may very well be it. I mean, are you living your life in hope? Are, are, ha have you set your hope fully, perfectly, completely, unreservedly, without any doubt about what God has said about the future? Are you believing that? Let me ask you, how would a person live if they were absolutely convinced that this life is as temporal as God says it is? And the next life is as real as God describes it to be, as full as God describes it to be, as glorious as God describes it to be, as unshakable as God describes it to be, as indestructible as God describes it to be, as invaluable, as valuable as God describes it to be. How would a person be living their life today if they were fully convinced about what God says about the future? Now, is that your life? Is that my life? Is that how you're living? Because you see, this, this is what we're commanded to do in verse 13, to, to live our lives in hope, to set our hope fully on the future that God has promised, making your investment in that. Making your investment there without any doubts, without any reservations. You know, God has told us what life here as we know it will be like. It won't be here forever. And if you make your investment in this world, if this is where you invest your life, then what will happen to your life? 
you'll lose it. God tells us very clearly in his word where we are to lay up our treasures, where we are to make our investment. In Matthew chapter 6, we read that very familiar passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 19. He says, And do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we're being told there is to make your investment in eternity. Don't make your investment in this world. Make your investment in eternity. Let eternity be your focus. Let eternity be what takes up your thought life and what you live for. I've heard it often said this, this way, that this life is simply the vestibule to eternity. So how are we living our lives right now? Are we living our lives in hope of that future that God has promised? This is what we're talking about right here. This is what it means to live the Christian life. So we've talked about what hope is, and, and we've talked about how hope is to be invested. It's to be invested without reservation. It's to be in invested without doubts. But what are we to set our hope on? What are we to set our hope on? He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is our hope to be fixed on? Fully fixed on. What am I to be looking forward to? What am I to be looking to? Well, I'm to be looking for Jesus. I'm to be looking for Jesus. Hope is looking for Christ. Hope is looking to Christ, but in this case, hope is looking for Christ. I'm living my life today knowing that I'm going to see my Savior one day. And I want to live my life in such a way, such a fashion, that when I see Christ, I won't be ashamed. Titus chapter 2. In verse 11, says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Doing what? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Listen to this. Waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He died to possess himself a people, for himself a people who are zealous for God. And we are told in those verses that we are to be living our lives in the present, looking to the future. And what are we to be looking for? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. His appearing is described there as what? Our blessed hope. Let me ask you something. Is there anything in your life right now that you would be ashamed 
uh, if you were to meet Christ today? Is there any way you're living right now that you would be ashamed if you were to meet Christ today? If you, would, if you were to be called upon today to give an account to your Savior on how you have invested your life in the present, your time, your money, your talent, your energies, after you've been saved, would you be ashamed of how you have invested your life? How you have invested yourself what your priorities have been, what you've been giving your time to, what you've been giving your energies to, what you've been supporting with your monies. Would you be found to be somebody who's lived more for the world than you have for the kingdom? That's the big question. Set your hope fully on the appearing of Jesus. It will change how you live in the, this present life. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. It seems like everybody is running frantically to and fro, getting to this place and that place and this event and that event. And, and people's schedules are so full. And these things seem to be a priority. The, but sitting down to spend time in the Word doesn't seem to be a priority. Gathering together in worship doesn't see a, seem to be a priority. Sitting under the declaration, the proclamation of God's Word doesn't seem to be a priority. There's something wrong when the life of a Christian is like that. Parents... are so concerned about getting their kids into the right college and getting their kids on the right sport team and, and uh, having them uh, you know, be quarterback and hopefully they'll get a scholarship and go to college and all these other things. And they're so worried about getting their kids to this meeting and that meeting to scouts and whatever else it may be. But how concerned are they for the souls of their kids? Why is that not a priority? No, our investment is to be in eternity. Our, our, our time should be invested with eternity in mind. All that we do should be done with eternity in mind. What God has promised. What we have to look forward to. But we're told also that hope is just not looking for Jesus, but that hope is looking for grace. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, when we met Jesus, we met him in grace, didn't we? We met him in grace. It was all of grace, unmerited favor, undeserved favor. We met grace when Christ made himself known to us. And that's what happened. He made himself known to us. We didn't go looking for him. But he arrested us as he did with the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. We met with forgiveness of sin. We met with the, with the creation of a new life. We met with God's mercy. We met with, 
with liberty, as he set us free from our slavery to sin and Satan, we met with grace when we met Christ. And every day, we get up in the morning, we meet with more grace. In fact, the life of the believer is described in Scripture as grace upon grace. We are able to say with the psalmist, your mercies or your graces are new every morning. Well, let me ask you something. What is Jesus going to be bringing back with him when he comes? What are we going to meet with when he comes? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's coming with Jesus is grace. What kind of grace? That's the question we need to ask. What kind of grace? Well, the kind of grace that will transform this lowly body into the likeness of his glorious body. That's the kind of grace. The kind of grace that will remove every struggle with sin that we know in our lives right now. And we all struggle with sin. The kind of grace that will take away every heartache, every pain, every sorrow, every loss in this world because of sin. The kind of grace that will take away spiritual dullness and lukewarmness and spiritual laziness, all the things that we, we hate in ourselves. And why do we hate them? Because we love the Lord. All of those things will be taken away and we will be introduced into our glorious existence forever with our Savior, who we will see face to face. We will know him as he is, a kind of grace that will reunite us with loved ones, believing loved ones that have gone on before us to be with the Lord, who we miss and we long for. We'll be reunited with those people. When Jesus comes, he's coming with grace. He's coming with grace. So we are to be living our lives in the present, looking for him and the grace that we will meet with when we meet him. So what is hope? It's a spiritual reality. It's our attitude, the attitude that we live with today in believing God about the future. Hope without reservations, without question without doubts. Do your life, does your life and my life say that we believe God? Does our life say that we believe God fully when it comes to the future? Or do our lives say that we have doubts about what God has said about the future? That's the command. My friends, as we live in the world that we live in, with all of its trouble, all of its wars, all the things going on, all the crime, all the murder, all the child abuse, the abortion, and all of those things, our cry, every one of our cries should be, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That should be the cry comes forth from our hearts. Come quickly. Oh, he's coming. He's coming back with grace. But do we believe 
that? Is that our hope? I love the I love the world that God has given us. It's a beautiful world. I didn't think much about Florida when I first came here with its two colors and no mountains and no flowing streams, but I, I've discovered that Florida is a beautiful place as well. But I, I love the world that God has given us, and it is to be enjoyed, but there are so many other things that take away from actually enjoying this world these days. As I'm out in places hiking or whatever else, I'm somehow my mind always wonders, not to the beauty around me, but to the trouble that's in the world that I live in. It sort of takes away the joy of that experience. I love the world that we live in, but I am so looking forward to the one to come. I'm looking forward to my blessed hope, and that's the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the command. We are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I do this? How do I fulfill this commandment? I mean, I want to please the Lord. I want, I, want, I want to obey Him. So how do I do this? Well, God is so good and God is so gracious that He tells us how to fulfill this command. And he gives us two conditions to fulfill this command. I want you to notice them there with me. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. And my friends, both of those are ongoing activities. Those are present perfect they are ongoing activities we don't cease doing those that's something we are to be doing continually momentarily well how is it that you do this how is it that you fulfill this command what do these conditions have to do with fulfilling this command well first of all we are told that we are to live our life of hope by preparing our minds for action the literal translation there is gird up your loins Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that's old King James language, but that's, that's the, the actual uh, literal interpretation. Gird, gird up your, the loins of your mind. And, and the image there is taken from the garments that they wore during this time. Um, most of the time, the men would wear long, flowing robes. And what they would do is they would take those robes and they would gather them up and they would tuck them into their belts so that they could run or so that they could work or, or just simply be active. Gather up that, in other words, what God is telling us here through Peter is this, gather up that which would entangle you, that which would encumber you, that which would hinder you, and tuck it into your belt so that you can be ready for spiritual action. That's the idea. Can you imagine a man during this time wearing one of those long flowing robes trying to run a sprint or fight? He couldn't do it. He'd be tripping all over himself. Well, God says this, this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to do this in the realm of your mind. There are things that will hinder you in your thinking. 
they will keep you from living out this command to the fullest and you have to take those things and you've got to take control of those things in your thinking. If you want to live a life in hope, in the hope that God calls us to here, then you've got to take note of what you're thinking. You've got to take note of what you're thinking. Now, this is not a power of positive thinking method. But you must be aware of where your mind goes. Let me tell you something. If Satan's going to wage war, the one place he's going to wage war is in your mind. That's going to be the battleground. And you have to take note of what you are thinking. And not only do we need to take note of what we're thinking, we have to discipline ourselves in what we think. This seems to be something that's so neglected these days. So neglected. This is why there's so much instability among Christians, where there should be so much stability. People don't worry about how they think. They don't discipline themselves to think the right things. Do you ever stop and just take note of what's going through your mind? Do you ever pay attention to whether or not your thoughts are right? Whether or not your thoughts are straight or not? And if you notice that you're not thinking rightly, do you take responsibility for it? And, 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 and do you exercise discipline over your mind so that you put away wrong thinking and you begin to think in accordance with God, in accordance with God's Word? This takes some, some effort. This takes some self-awareness. That, that's, that's what Peter's talking about here. Pay attention to what you're thinking and take control of what you're thinking. Well, how in the world do you do that? You do it with truth. You do it with truth. that you're running with the truth. It means that you're walking in step with the truth. It means that your mind is being disciplined by the truth. The truth is reigning in your brain, not your ideas, not your philosophies, not your opinions, and certainly not the philosophies and the ideas of the culture and the world that we live in. God's truth, God's word, is what's reigning in your mind. Look at verse 14. We won't get into this this evening. He says, as, obe uh, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, what does that say? That says that before I was saved, if you're a believer this morning, before you were saved, you were living your life in ignorance. In ignorance. But now that you have been saved... You have been brought into the truth. You've been brought into the truth. And the truth has to be the standard in your mind. It has to be. The Word of God has to be the standard. Nothing else in Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 10. This is that great passage of Scripture on the whole armor of God, putting on the whole armor of God. So we're fit to do battle. 
to finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the, bre the breastplate of righteousness. What does that text tell us? What holds everything together? What holds it all together? Truth is what holds it all together. The belt of truth holds it all together. It is the truth that keeps things straight in our thinking. It is the truth that helps us stand in the evil day. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, we read this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that, the, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. How do we have hope? It's through the encouragement of the Scriptures. Well, how do, how, how do you have hope? How do you have this hope? Well, you discipline your mind to think in accordance with the truth of God's Word. Think in accordance with God Himself because this is His mind. We have to take responsibility for what we think. That's the point here. We have to. We are also called here to be sober-minded. And again, this is ongoing. These are ongoing actions. Prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded. In other words, make sure you're not intoxicated in the realm of your thinking. Let me ask you something. What happens when people get intoxicated? What happens uh, to the drunk person? Or the person overwhelmed by drugs? Do they seem to be in touch with reality? Have you ever watched Cops? Or any of those police shows on TV? They pull those people out of the car and some of them, you know, ask them to say the alphabet and they sing the alphabet but they don't get all the way through. You know? Kind of like watching uh, some of the political interviews we see today. No, they... They're not in touch with reality. They're not in touch with reality. They're intoxicated. They are inebriated. When you're intoxicated, you don't make sound decisions. The question for us is, what intoxicates us spiritually? What intoxicates our mind spiritually? And let me tell you something. It can be different things for different people. But whatever it is, it, it, it takes our minds away from spiritual realities. Whatever takes your heart away from the, the burning love of Jesus Christ, love for Jesus Christ, you're intoxicated, whatever that is. Whatever takes your priorities away from the kingdom of God, you're intoxicated. Whatever, you've been, become intoxicated, inebriated on something, and, and you have to deal with it. Because you're not being sober-minded. If you're not living your life in light of eternity... You're missing it. You are intoxicated. You are inebriated. You are out of touch with reality. 
Because friends, this world is not going to be here forever. This world's going to pass away along with everything in it. Life isn't forever on this earth. That's a reality. And God has clearly told the believer that there is a heaven that will be gained at the end of this life, an eternal reward. Are we living our lives in touch with that reality? Whatever it is that fogs up your mind to the point where you're not in touch with that reality causes you to lose that sense of expectancy, causes you to lose that burning love for Jesus Christ, causes you to not live for eternity. Whatever that is simply causes you to live for the here and now, and that's deadly. It's a deadly substance that needs to be put away. The world will anesthetize us. Will anesthetize the believer's heart to things that we should be wide awake to. The Christian life requires alertness. Requires sobriety. It requires us being sober-minded. It requires us having our minds upon the right things. It requires us to have our mind upon the truth of God's Word. Let me ask you, where is your mind today? What's on your mind? What's on your heart today? Is it the fact that the Lord Jesus is coming back? Now, we're not simply to hold up here on this hill until Jesus comes. We are to be actively serving Him while we wait for Him. But are you looking for Him? I believe that if we look for Him, if we long for that return, if we had that be our mind's attention and our mind's focus, we would serve all the more fervently right now. We would give our all right now because we have that to look forward to. We can give her all right now, and if we died doing it, we'd be with our Savior. But if we live to, if we, if we don't die, if we, if we actually have the, the, blessing, the blessing of seeing our Savior split the clouds and come again, what a glorious thought. Why don't we focus on that? Focus on that. That's what we have to look forward to. This is, this is a command that we've been given, and it is a command. It is an imperative. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully, unreservedly, without doubt, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, is that you? Christian, that is your hope. That is your hope. That, that's your reality. Do you live like it? Do you live like it? Does it cause you to rejoice? Does it cause you your heart to well up with joy, even in the most difficult of times? The fact that this world is not going to be here forever. I'm not going to have to endure all of this. I'm not going to have to deal with me 
in this sinful state, I'll be glorified. That's your hope. That's my hope. Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope? That hope can be had in Christ Jesus. If you will simply turn from your sin and turn to him for forgiveness of sin, repent and seek his forgiveness, and trust in him by faith, that can be your hope. You will have the blessed hope of the revelation of Jesus Christ and being taken home to be with him because he promises that where he is, there we will be also. That's your hope. Otherwise, the only thing you can expect is God's wrath and a devil's hell awaiting you at the end of this life. Where you will serve that time out, all eternity, conscious, in torment, in pain, where there's anguish and gnashing of teeth. That's how the Bible describes it. You think about the, the rich man and Lazarus. What did the rich man say? This is how we know that hell is real and it's reality and it's conscious, conscious torment. He said, you know, let Abraham just come and drop one drop of water on my parched tongue to give me some relief. So do you have glory awaiting you? Or do you have the devil's hell where you will be with him and all his angels, a lake of fire awaiting you? Is your hope heaven? Or is that your expectancy? Something to think about this morning. Hope can be had in Jesus if you'll turn to him by faith. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I ask you, Lord, to help us to apply this word to our lives by your spirit. Lord, if there's one thing we all will have to admit, this world seeks to do nothing but intoxicate us, to distract us, to draw us away from the truth, to keep us from our Bibles, to keep us off our knees, and to keep us out of the corporate worship service and out from and under the preaching of your word. Lord, many of us have been guilty and have been, have been uh, distracted by the world around us. Some of us would have to admit finding more joy in it, sadly, than we do in thinking about spiritual and godly things. Father, forgive us for that. But Father God, we pray that you would just work in our hearts and lives in regard to this. We want to be people of hope. We want to be people who obey this command. So, Lord, help us to appropriate these conditions in our lives. Help us with our thinking, Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name.